Oh, I love to hear the children sing, and I've enjoyed this worship time so far. I hope and pray that you have too, and uh, believe it or not, the Lord just timed it right, so in our look at 1 Corinthians, it comes out to the very passage of Scripture that kind of explains Christmas. So let's look in 1 Corinthians tonight, in chapter 1, beginning in verse 26, and look for just a few moments. Again, we looked last time at uh, nonsense that is sense and sense that is nonsense when it comes to the workings of God, and this thought continues on, but uh, becomes uh, more specific about the foolishness of God's way. You know, when you hear that said, you say, well, wait a minute, God's ways aren't foolish. Yes, if you believe the Bible and you believe uh, all the things we believe about God, nothing that God does is foolish. But to the world, to those outside of the, the, the family of faith, a lot of what we talk about does seem very foolish indeed. In fact, how many times has someone asked you to do something and you thought to yourself, well, that doesn't make any sense. Why, that's just absolutely foolish. Uh, I don't even want to do that. Because, I know, you know, in our mind, it doesn't make any sense whatsoever what they want us to do. Now, there's been a lot of times in my life where uh, somebody has wanted me to do something. At the time, it didn't make sense, but later on, it began to make sense. And, of course, we just got through listening to the song. I've been waiting years, by the way, for John to sing Joseph. I'll just tell you that right now. Uh, and, uh, and as he's singing, there's that little phrase in that song about things not making sense. And, you know, really, if you think about the Christmas story, uh, what all happened, the, the, the way in which God chose to do things does not make sense to the world. But when we look at it from God's perspective, it makes great sense. So let's look at what uh, Paul had to say to the Corinthians because uh, he's talking about the way in which the Lord works. And, you know, we read in the Old Testament in Isaiah 55 and verse 8 and 9 that God says through his prophet, My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Well, this plays out in this passage of Scripture we're going to look at, and it plays out as we think about uh, Christmas. And so let's look at how God insists on being Himself and doing things His own way, and how we need to make sure that our way, our will, our thoughts conform to the way of God, even though it may not make sense in the way in which we think things should make sense, and yet we should align ourselves with God's way. Let's look in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, looking at verse 26 and uh, looking through verse 31. The Apostle Paul writes these words under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Think about the circumstances of your call, brothers and sisters. Not many were wise by human standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were born to a privileged position, but God chose what the world thinks foolish to shame the wise, and God chose what the world thinks weak to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, what is regarded as nothing, to set aside what is regarded as something." so that no one can boast in his presence. He is the reason you have a relationship with Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts 
boast in the Lord. Let's pray. Fathers, we examine the passage of Scripture before us. Again, may your Holy Spirit do his great and mighty work. You, O Lord, who inspired the Apostle Paul to write these words to a church who needed to understand that your ways were not their ways, that what did not make sense to them made perfect sense if they would just trust you and follow you and be obedient to you. Lord, may tonight, as we think about what you have done for us through sending your Son, Jesus, Lord, may this be an opportunity for us to be reminded of how you work even in our life today, that those things that do not make sense to us quite often is because, Lord, you're working in a way we cannot understand but yet we can trust you, and we can rely upon you, and we can know, Lord, that you will do your great work if we will walk in faith, as you did with Joseph, as you did with Mary, even that first Christmas. So, Lord, do your great work in this place tonight. We will praise you for all that you do. In Jesus' name, amen. So several things very quickly Paul says here that I want us to capture before we leave tonight. First off, I want you to notice that when Paul writes these words and he talks about how God has chosen things, the plan that God chose to adopt. Let's look at that for a moment. What was that plan that God chose to adopt when it came to his not only creative work, but his redemptive work? And the way that God chose to do things was so that ultimately it would bring glory to him. You see, God has insisted, and this has been true from the very beginning of the Bible, as God has revealed himself to mankind, as God has revealed himself in various ways, in all of it, he insists on revealing his glory. He insists on the fact that ultimately he will receive all the praise and all the glory. It's important for you and I to understand it's uh, the purpose, the sole purpose of the reason we exist on planet earth, the sole purpose for everything that exists in the universe, everything that has been made and everything's been done is to bring glory to God. And folks, if we ever get it right that our whole life is nothing more than about bringing glory to God, we will be very closer, much closer to being aligned with the purposes and the plan that God has in our life. Unfortunately, most of our life is about us and what we want and how we can achieve certain things for ourselves, how we can bring certain uh, attributes uh, to, to people's mind when they think about us. We, we you know, we live in a time where people are often searching for significance. They're looking for some way to make themselves known. They're looking for some way to make a name for themselves. This was what happened at the Tower of Babel after the flood. The first thing they did, after God had said, go out in the world, multiply, and fill the earth, first thing they wanted to do was gather together, stay together, so they could make a name for themselves. They wanted to be something. They wanted to be somebody. Folks, God insists on revealing His glory through all He has done, and it includes our life. And so, Paul here is talking about the fact that God has chosen things that would not be chosen by the world, things that the world thinks foolish, things that the world thinks weak, and yet he has done all this to shame and, and to uh, uh, cause them to, to realize that everything that they think is important, God says is not important. Everything that they think is smart and wise, God says, no, my ways are smart and wise, and my plan is smart and wise. And Christmas is a beautiful picture of how that came about because God insists on revealing His glory. And, of course, His glory was revealed in Jesus Christ. I love the way that the, the Gospel of John uh, begins because when it talks about the birth of Jesus in the way in which John reveals it by the Word becoming flesh, it was all about revealing 
the glory of God. And that the glory of God could be seen in Jesus Christ. And ultimately one day we're going to see that glory in a way in which we could not even fathom or imagine. But he insists on revealing his glory and his unique uh, character. Um, the fact that he's holy, the fact that he's good, the fact that he's just, the fact that he's loved. Uh, he insists on revealing his glory by his unique creation. Listen, the fact that he made you and I in his image is an amazing thing. But why did he make us in his image? He could have made us to look just like another animal. Uh, thank God he didn't make us to be gir like giraffes, you know, uh, or something else. I mean, you look at all the animals that God made. I can think of a lot of animals I'm glad God did not make us like. But I am grateful that when God made us, he says, we were made in his image. And so you and I have this unique uh, 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 existence that we have because of the way God made us. Why? Because ultimately he was going to become one of us. And ultimately, I don't want you to take this too far, but ultimately we're going to be like him. The Bible says we will be like him and we will see him as he is. So the purpose of God in creating us was so that we'd be made in his image, so that it was the image in which he himself became and was one of us. But ultimately, God's desire is that you and I will live with him forever and we'll be like him. Not all powerful, not all knowing, not all wise, nothing like the Mormons teach about you becoming a God, but us being in such a way, fashioned in such a way for eternity that we'll be able to know who God is. We'll see him as he is. And what a, what a great day that will be. Well, let's move on. The plan that God chose was to uh, reveal his glory, but he has a resistance to sharing his glory. You know, we, uh, I won't spend time here. We don't have time, but Isaiah 14 talks about how uh, Lucifer, how the son of the morning, uh, the, the chief of the angels, uh, the anointed cherub, uh, how he wanted to get some of that glory. He wanted, to, he wanted to have what God had. He wanted to be worshipped. He wanted to be exalted. He wanted to exalt himself. And there have been these attempts of angels to share his glory, and God will not share his glory with angels, nor will he share it with people. There have been human attempts to share the glory of God. Look for a moment, if you will, in Romans chapter 1, verse 21. It explains a lot of what's going on in our world today, but just as an example of why God chose the plan that he did and why it's the plan that God uh, adopted. But in Romans 1, verse 21, it says, For although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God or give him thanks, but they became futile in their thoughts and their senseless hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for an image resembling mortal human beings or birds or four-footed animals or reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over in their desires of their hearts to impurity, to dishonor their bodies among themselves. So right there, you just simply can read and you can find other passages as well that man has always sought to take or, or to have the glory that God himself said was reserved for him. This is why we have in the Ten Commandments that we're not to worship anyone other than God, not anything other than God, nothing man-made, nothing of our imagination. But there has always been human attempts to share in the glory of God, and God will resist sharing His glory. But He will persist in demonstrating His glory. And this is why the Christmas story to me is such a wonderful thing, because when God became flesh and dwelt among us, He became what we call the incarnate Christ. That is to say, God in flesh. 
And when we think about that, when we think about what God did by becoming one of us, that incarnation, what we celebrate at Christmas of him being born in a manger, being born as a baby, being born of the Virgin Mary, and Joseph being his earthly father, although he had nothing to do with his birth in terms of DNA or anything else, yet this incarnation was a way that God was going to demonstrate his glory, ultimately for him to be on the cross, placed in a tomb, and resurrected again to reveal his glory. And then you can fast forward to the book of Revelation and you'll see that one day there's going to be a great coronation that's going to take place. And that coronation will be Jesus being revealed in all of his glory. In fact, when Jesus comes again, he's not coming as a baby. He's not coming born of a woman. He's not coming to be anything other than who he is, King of kings, Lord of lords, and his glory will fill the earth and all that exists. You and I will be part of what he's doing. So I'm grateful that God chose the plan he chose to adopt because it involves what we celebrate this Christmas. I'm also grateful for the procedures that God chose to employ. You see, look at verse 26 for just a moment again, where it says, and I read it again, Think about the circumstances of your call, brothers and sisters. Not many wise by human standards, not many powerful, not many born to privileged position. Now basically what Paul is saying is, of those of us in the church, the world would consider us not to be all that great in terms of abilities, of, of intellect. We do have some intellectual people in our church. We have some uh, people who have, are people of influence. Uh, throughout the 20 years I've been here, we've had people serving in our local government and county government and, and even in our state government. So we know we have those people who rise and, and are recognized by their peers to be somebody who can serve, who can represent them and, and do work that needs to be done, and, and that would include many positions. We have people in our church. I love to be able to brag about the fact that I pastor a church where I have a, a rocket scientist. You know, I got, Larry, you're always on the topic when I'm talking about what kind of church I have. I have a rocket scientist. I have all these people at work, and, and I have all these engineers, and I have uh, these people who are attorneys and, and uh, doctors and nurses and all these people with all these great minds and all these great skills, people of great skills when it comes to uh, uh, being an electrician or a plumber or whatever it may be. We have people in this church can do f uh, phenomenal things, and I'm grateful for that. We have people who have great ability, and so this is not about whether or not the church and people who are Christians don't have a great mind. It's not that at all, but what the Bible here is saying is, and what the Lord did, the procedure that he chose to employ was that he would call people that would contradict human reason and his choices would confound human resources. In fact, God has always been this way when it comes to his work. And this is why you and I have been called to not only be saved but to serve in this church in all the different ways we can. Think about this for a moment very quickly. In the Old Testament, uh, the Israelites, God had chosen them and called them to be his people and they confounded the the egyptians why the egyptians couldn't figure them out and and the fact that they couldn't get rid of them they couldn't kill them they couldn't do anything to them even when they tried and then when they end up having to let them go because of the plagues that god brought they thought they could still get a hold on them they still thought they could destroy them they sent the chariots out and of course we know what god did he he let them get into the middle of the sea and then he drowned them why because this is the way that God works. 
And we can also see it, for example, in, in the cross. The cross confounded the Jews. They thought they'd won a victory. They thought they got rid of Jesus of Nazareth. They thought they'd gotten rid of this person that was going to change the world. And yet all they did was accomplish God's purpose, <laughs> fulfill God's plan. And when he came forth from the tomb, they had a real problem on their hands because now they had a resurrected Savior. And not only did they have a resurrected Savior, these disciples who had been cowardly and hid themselves in a room and locked the door so that nobody could come and get them suddenly came out of those locked doors and, and came out into the streets and preached the good news of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. That confounded them. They didn't understand. They didn't know what was going on. But folks, that's the procedure God employs even in the church today. See, if a church is doing what the church is supposed to be doing and being the church is supposed to be, what we do, the procedures that are employed, will confound people who otherwise say, I don't understand how this works. Ask somebody about stewardship who's really following biblical plan of stewardship who otherwise couldn't afford to do it, and yet God has blessed them and met their needs. And they'll tell you, it doesn't make sense. You can't put it down on paper and say this will make sense. But guess what? The procedures of God will confound those who think it makes sense otherwise. Well, let's look on. We think about Christmas. We think about the plan that God chose to adopt in becoming one of us and sending His Son, Jesus. We think about the procedures that God chose to employ. And, of course, at Christmas time, the, the procedure that God chose to employ to have His Son born is confounding to me. That's why I love that song, Joseph. I just can't imagine what that was like. I get a sense of it when I watch this movie called The Nativity. I think it's the best dramatization that there is out there about this uh, Christmas event. But, but when you think about what God was doing, he told a virgin who had never been with a man, you're going to have a baby. Well, that don't make sense. That doesn't make sense that God would choose that as the procedure for the birth of his son. And then he tells Joseph, you go ahead and take her as... Your wife, and you raise this child as your own, I, it's all about me. It's, it's, this child is from me. Well, that didn't make sense. How is this possible? Yet, the, I love again what it said in that song, that he chose to walk by faith and say, well, God, if you say so, that's what we'll do. And think about the fact that in your life, when the Lord called you to be saved, and the things that he asks of us to do, most of these things, again, procedurally they just don't make sense but in God's plan it works perfectly and and this is why God has chosen the procedures and this is why Paul was trying to tell the Corinthians yes the things that God wants you to do may not make sense but folks if you'll do what God says it'll confound your enemies now let me give you a little history lesson real quick that you already know as the church began to grow, as the Roman Empire tried everything they could to destroy Christianity and tried their best to kill all the Christians they could find, and guess what? The church only grew and it spread until finally one day an emperor by the name of Constantine said, you know what, <laughs> uh, I'll be a Christian. Folks, the church confounded Rome. Israel confounded Egypt. The birth of Jesus confounded the folks of his day, and the cross certainly confounded the Jews. And folks, if we're doing what God wants us to do, if we're being the people God wants us to be, can I say this? 
the church, if we were the church we're supposed to be, would be confounding the world. How do you know the church isn't exactly where it needs to be? Because we're not doing a lot of confounding. Why? Because we're trying to employ the plans and the procedures of the world rather than the plans and the procedures of God. But when you and I in our personal life employ the plan of God and the procedures of God in our life and walk by faith, then our life will be confounding to those around us as well. You see, right now there's not a lot of confounding going on. But then lastly and very quickly, we've seen the plan God chose to adopt, the procedures God chose to employ. Look at the people God chose to use. Well, we've already seen he didn't choose very many that were powerful, not many that were wise. I think about those disciples. Could Jesus have chosen better men, more knowledgeable men, more articulate men? Could he have chosen people who had a better education? Could he have chosen people who had a better position, maybe of more influence? Yes, he certainly could, but that wasn't what Jesus did. He chose those people that he knew would listen and ultimately be faithful to him. And folks, that's what we need to be today. Let's not think about how we can be like the world. Let us think how we can confound the world by letting God use us. And, and folks, I stand here today to tell you, I don't know what I would have been if the Lord hadn't called me to be a pastor. I know what I wanted to be. I know I wanted to be a corporate lawyer. I know I wanted to finish my business degree and then go on to law school. And, and uh, you know, my, my, my desire was to just simply do uh, contracts and business uh, things and, and just make a lot of money. And the Lord said, no, that's not going to be your life. And I don't know what plans you had that maybe God will ask you to set aside to serve him or to walk with him. But I can tell you this, whatever it is, it'll be right, it'll be good. And God didn't choose me because I was some intellectual. I'll tell you, uh, on those, uh, uh, those uh, aptitude tests that I took in high school, I was dead middle of my class. I wasn't expected to make more than C's in college. But the Lord had a different plan in mind. Thankfully, he gave me a wonderful wife who could help me with algebra. Uh, he gave me an ability to somehow get through college and seminary and somehow make some rather decent grades above and beyond what anybody said I could do. Why? Because it wasn't me. It was God. God said, I'll do this. You just be obedient. And folks, I can just tell you that Christmas is a wonderful time to be reminded that God chose a plan and he adopted a plan that the world would never have chosen. He adopted procedures and employed them that no one would ever consider. And he chose people that no one would ever think. I think about the choice of Mary. What was Mary? A peasant girl. But faithful to the Lord. Who was Joseph? A carpenter, a builder of buildings and yet God chose him to raise as the song says himself in flesh <laughs> who were these folks that the Lord called to walk with him and serve him these were ones who the Lord knew would be obedient look at verse 30 as I close 
Jesus is the reason you have a, a relationship with Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. What does that mean? That God chose people who would be related to him. Isn't that a wonderful word? He is the reason you have a relationship with Jesus. Not religion, but a relationship. I can't think of anything greater than the fact that our God wanted us to have a relationship with him. And I can't think of anything greater than the fact that it says here how he did that through righteousness that we by faith receive at the moment we're saved by sanctification the process of salvation by which we're becoming more like Jesus every day and ultimately redemption or glorification in which one day we will be as God wants us to be. Wow. See that's what God's working in our life right now. <laughs> Who would have thought it? Who would have thought that that would be the plan of God? Who would have thought that that would be the procedure God would use? Who would have thought that we would be the people that God would choose? But I thank God tonight, and I hope that you do too, that God chose us for salvation. And that God chose us to serve. And that God chose us to once, one day be like Him, be with Him forever. God chose that. God did that. And that's what Christmas, to me, is all about. So that one day, and I love what it says in verse 31, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Folks, throughout eternity, all that we're going to do in heaven is boast in the Lord. We won't be in heaven saying, ooh, look what we did. <laughs> look what we achieved. Look what we had. Look what we owned. Look who we became. That'll all disappear. And the only thing that will matter is that we'll be present to boast in the Lord. Wow. I'm grateful for the foolishness of God's way. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the opportunity we've had tonight to, Lord, bring our praise and our worship to you in a unique and special way as we brought in the decorations of this season as we think lord about this time when you became one of us at the birth of jesus and we celebrate that and lord we'll be doing that now for weeks to come right up until the day that we celebrate your birth on december the 25th and yet lord as we do so may every day be a time for us to just be reminded that lord you did in fact have a plan that you adopted before the foundation of the world that one day Jesus would be the lamb slain and in order to do that he had to become one of us Lord I'm grateful that uh, you adopted procedures that Lord we would not ever contemplate nor think but Lord how you wonderfully work in our life and so I'm grateful Lord that you do so and that Lord that uh, when we respond to you in faith and obedience allow you to do that which doesn't otherwise make sense Lord, how wonderful it is to look back and say, wow, what you did. But Lord, I'm just grateful for the people you chose, people like us here tonight. Lord, there's not a single one of us here tonight who deserves what you did for us. And yet, Lord, you chose to love us and to save us by sending your Son. And there have been those tonight, Lord, who chose you as their personal Lord and Savior. They responded in faith and obedience 
and they have entered into that relationship with you through Jesus. But Lord, if there's someone here tonight who has yet to enter into a relationship, all they have is religion, all they have is just the knowledge of you, but they don't know you, then tonight, Lord, as a work of your Holy Spirit, may you bring into their heart and their mind the conviction that they need a Savior, that they need forgiveness of sin, but they also need to become a new person. And Lord, you will do all of that for them through Jesus if they would both believe and receive you as personal Lord and Savior. That tonight, Lord, they might pray a prayer of faith, believing what your word says to be true, something like this. Dear Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I can't save myself, but Lord, based on what your word says, I believe that Jesus is the one you sent, that you became one of us, that you willingly lived a life upon this earth, a perfect life, a sinless life, but willingly suffered and died on the cross for our sins, that you were buried, rose from the grave, and one day you're coming again. And the best that I know how, and as much as I can possibly know to do, I ask Jesus to come into my heart, to forgive me of my sin, to save me, and to help me to live for you. Lord, that somebody might pray that prayer for the very first time, believing and receiving Christ, that tonight, Lord, they just let us know that by coming during the time of invitation, just saying, I trusted Jesus. Lord, there might be others who need to make other decisions for you, but whatever it is, may we make them for your glory. Have your will and your way in this moment in time of invitation. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going